You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 20. That's where we're at tonight. We're continuing our study. Shout out to Andre. I just want to tell you I love you. Just thinking about you. Saw a picture of Angie this week. You guys climbing a mountain. And Paul, thanks so much for listening. Anyways, just giving a little love to our, our podcast, our online ministry. We're seeing God use that in great ways. And uh, it's awesome to be able to go to God's Word week after week and to be able to study it together. Uh, whether you're in the room, whether you're listening online, uh, we have a heart here at Redemption Church to speak words of life. And we know life comes from God, um, who is creator, and he speaks to us as creation through his word. He's inspired his word. And so we're in the Old Testament in our series, God Redeems, uh, looking at Ten Commandments, uh, where God is guiding, he is speaking, he is ministering to his people uh, in the ways that they should go. And we sort of looked at last week, but I'll, I'll give you a little summation of it. We broke down the, these Ten Commandments, these morals, these sections where God is guiding his people into two sections. And I want you to start thinking about the commandments like this, not just a whole bunch of rules, but Uh, opportunities and guidance from a loving God who cares about people. I hope you know he cares about you, okay? And so he cares about people. And so in these commandments, they're sort of broken up into two ways, loving God and loving others, okay? Loving God, loving others. The first four commandments, verses 3 through 11, which was our Bible study last week, uh, we looked at these commandments. No other gods, no idols, do not misuse God's name, uh, and then rest on the Sabbath. And so these are our relationship to God. And from that relationship should flow loving other people. Because now what we're going to do is get into this next section, verses 12 through 17, and they're going to deal with ways of how to love others. You may know these. If not, we actually have on our connection table these little handouts with extra verses and some application and study, uh, just a little a little brochure. Some of you guys like it, and it's laminated. fits really good in the Bible. Okay, You could have your own Bible study because I don't talk long enough on a Sunday night for you. Okay, so um, But these other commandments are about loving other people. As we look and study these commandments, here's the two questions I want us as a community, as a church, to be asking right? And I hope you ask this question always when you read the Bible. What does this teach me about Jesus? But what does this commandment mean? Because now we're dealing with morals in an un- immoral place, in a different culture. And so right now where we live, right is wrong and wrong is right. And so we have to actually say, well, what does this actually mean? But then we have to ask ourselves this, what does this commandment teach us about God? Why did he say it? How does it mean for, what, what does it mean for our lives today? And so let's go ahead and study and let's read all these commandments again, uh, verses 1 through 17. And then tonight we're going to cover two. Tonight we're going to cover two commandments and to this new section of loving other people. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any 
likeness of anything that is in heaven above and that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am jealous, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands, thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall take not, uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will get. Uh, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You are your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea... I lost my place. It's, it's so nerve-wracking to read in my Bible, but then to see the screens for you and to switch it for you. But I'm trying my best, okay? Uh, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We covered all of that in one message. Probably should have taken like five. I'm just be honest with you, okay? Um, and now this is this new section, verses 12 through 17, which... We're going to slow down the pace, trying to learn. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much that we can come and study your word. We just pray for fresh revelation. And God, that you would guide. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much that you can use my words to minister to people. I pray right now that you would be the great teacher. And you know everyone's heart, everyone that's listening right now will listen all the stuff going on. And yet you know how to work in the midst of all of it. And so thank you, God. Thank you that you know how to work in the midst of all of that. And I thank you that you're going to work tonight as we study your word and look to you and lift you high and worship with the study of your word, with our minds, studying your word together. And so be glorified, be blessed. We pause again and we praise your name. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Ten Commandments, part two. Part two. Uh, before we get into the commandments of loving people, I want us to read the words of Jesus to get us in the mindset of this new section. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. These words are spoken by Jesus in the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, or our Feast of the Tabernacle, our Feast of Booths. Um, and it was this week-long celebration uh, that families would go and participate in and camp out in temporary shelters. Okay, And they would remember God's faithfulness to the people of Israel in the wilderness, the thing that we're studying in Exodus right now. It was the God's faithfulness to his people in the wilderness from Egypt to Canaan um, under Moses' leadership. And we've been studying a lot of this, but I want you to understand that the Bible recalls the Old Testament a lot. We need to value these truths and understand it. And remember, this is the section we're talking about. People have experienced this. And Jesus comes on the scene after a week long of celebrating the law and all these morals and all the revelation that God gave them. And it says this. 
on the last day of the feast, the great day, it was like the culmination, the climax. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You have to understand Jesus was a rabbi, he was a great teacher, and he had this great understanding of the law and why it was given. And he's declaring to the people, after a week of parting, after a week of celebration, there was a still of great need and they had thirst. They had a thirst, a hunger, a desire, an appetite. He says, the law causes thirst. What you're celebrating causes thirst. The law was given to the nation at this moment in history to show their need for a Savior. And Galatians talks all about this. Galatians 3.19 says, Why then the law? Well, it was added because of righteousness. The main purpose of the law was to show us, like a mirror shows your face, what's going on. It's to show us what's going on in our hearts, that we are not perfect. We're not holy. We're not right. But yet the law is perfect. God is right. And he wants to do something about that. I was coming across a, a commentator reading about the law and reading about all this stuff. And I, I like this quote. He says, law looks at the outside, but God is concerned with the heart. It is the human heart that must be transformed and not merely expressions of sin that must be restrained. Most people get this backwards. They want to have a little box. They want to check it off and be done and restrained. But we're not talking about behavior modification. The gospel is he transforms us from the inside out. And Jesus is declaring in this text that God desires relationship, not rules. Relationship, not rules. And so Jesus reminds the people after a week long celebrating what we're studying in Exodus and says, remember that law that's so special and holy and good, it doesn't satisfy, but I do. And I find that we also need this reminder as well. As we're studying the law, as we're living in grace and celebrating God is so good and gracious to us, we need to be reminded that the first four commandments are a really big deal to know God and to worship Him alone. We are to worship God alone, to not worship idols or make other things greater than God. And we need to honor and respect His name and to take time to worship Him through Sabbath. God invites us in the first four commandments to drink from Him, to be satisfied in Him. God invites us and even shows us how to worship Him through His Son, becoming man, God with us. And this is so important because if we don't start from a place of worship and understanding of the law and why we have it, we won't be able to do what we're about to study next well. Love other people. Love other people. For Jesus continues to say in this text, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart flows rivers of living water. You believe in me and something in your heart is going to just bubble up and burst over like a river or like a spring and it's going to affect the outside and it's going to change and transform. And we would say this at Redemption Church, ministry is an overflow of the heart. 
We have to understand that we are responding. And ministry is an overflow of a transformed heart by Jesus because our relationship with God affects our relationship with others. Our relationship with God really truly does affect our relationship with others. And this is why Jesus said, in summing up the law, when the teacher was asked, when they asked the teacher, hey, what, what, what about all these 613 Levitical laws? How would you sum it up? What's your intake? What's your interpretation? Give us the goods, rabbi. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, Jesus said this, well, it's to love God. But then he also goes on and says in that verse, but the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I find that some people are, in, especially in the church, they're okay with like them and God. They don't give a rip about other people. That's weird. That's not biblical. That's not what Jesus teaches. It matters how you treat other people because God loves all people. And we're going to find out about that tonight. All people, including us. That's right. High and mighty people. We don't do a whole bunch of stuff. Now we did a whole bunch of stuff, so God loves us. No, we fall short over and over and over again. And despite us, God loves us. He loves all people and he wants us to love people as well. God desires that. And so the next six commandments, wouldn't you know, are about people. There are more commandments about loving others than actually loving God. Seems a little weird, but you and I were stubborn and God knows what we need. And so Jesus declared to us that we need his spirit and the empowering of his spirit to transform our hearts, to be able to love other people well. You know, in marriage counseling, I, I give this illustration a lot. I think it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty simple. It's a triangle. And I put other because there's you and there's God and there's your spouse. And I find that a lot of people, especially in a relationship in marriage, you want to have a good relationship. You want to be close to your spouse, right? But the problem is, is you both are sinners. And so you sometimes butt heads and then you get in arguments and you go even farther away. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad, whatever it may be. What I've actually found out in marriage counseling and in my own marriage and in life is the more that I get to Jesus, the Bible says I become like him and I'm able to love more. And the more my wife gets to Jesus, she comes like him and we're drawing close to him, but yet it's drawing us together. And this is why it's so important that we're to be equally yoked in relationship to the Lord and to our spouse. In marriage, the Bible says that you need to be empowered by the Spirit to be actually be transformed. And this is why believers should be marrying other believers because we both need one another to partner in that and continue to point us to the God. Because if you make your spouse your God, you're doomed. You'll demonize. They'll never satisfy you. But we have someone who can satisfy us. And as we go to Him for our needs, we'll actually draw close to our spouse or to our friends or to our loved ones or our family. This is why it's so important for us as parents, as uh, families, to be coming to church, to be drawn close to God, so that way we can experience His love and it can affect our family together. And so now, we see that we need God's help to love people practically. Let's look at these commandments and dig deep in. Last four, uh, last week we did four, a little too much. We'll try to do two tonight. Command five, honor your parents. And I was expecting a big amen for that, right? <laughs> honor your parents. Done. Okay? Amen. Uh, verse 12, it says this, honor your father and your mother, 
that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Can I just, I mean, this is not my notes, but just interrupt myself just for a minute. Don't you love how practical the Bible is? How God is? We just went from a ethereal rivers of living water and bubbling over and love and Jesus and blah, blah, blah and the gospel. And then God's like, so just display it out and love other people. And here, just honor your parents. Honor your parents. Now this command, this command applies to all of us, not just children in the home, not just children in our home. It has the idea that we are to treat our parents with respect, no matter what the situation may be. The idea of honor is giving someone the proper weight or respect to their position. For example, we honor and we pray as Christians for whatever government, political party, or whoever is in the White House or our president and national leaders. The Bible says that. Not for who they are or their character, but because of the position that they hold, everyone needs prayer. And so we lift them up and honor that position. And so our parents have been given a great responsibility and positioned by God who gives life to raise children. Children are a blessing from the Lord, the Bible says. Our parents are the ones that are to make sacrifices for their children, and they have the great responsibility in raising them up in the ways of the Lord. And this is, would be directed by God in Deuteronomy and later in the law. They are exhorted to love their children well with practical care, expressing love, and raising their children in ways of the Lord. And we see this principle, this command, also in the New Testament. Colossians 3.20 tells us that it pleases the Lord when we obey our parents because it's a way that we can honor and respect them, trusting that God has given us those parents. You know what I'm talking about? I can't believe God gave me those parents. I think everyone has probably thought that at one time or the other. These are my parents. They just don't get me. They just don't understand. No, they don't. Because all of our parents are sinners. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect, certainly. I'm a parent and I blow it all the time. Parents aren't perfect. They're sinners saved by grace, just like everyone else. But yet, even in the midst of that, God has called them to do this thing of raising children. And Jesus tells us that we need to obey God by obeying our parents. If they're going against his ways, um, then we actually have a higher authority of God, not our parents. I remember being a youth pastor for many years. And there was one situation I always think about and go back to. And it just breaks my heart. It was a senior in high school. And... um, his mom had given him um, advice and counsel to basically fornicate with as many women as possible. Sow some oats, uh, protect yourself, and just go buck wild. And he had just become a Christian only a few months before, and he was conflicted because the Holy Spirit was telling him, no, that's not the way you live. And yet his mom was telling him, do something else. She literally even said, I raised you to do this, not that. I was like, that that is not good parenting, in my my opinion. This would be a time when you don't obey your parents. We see scripturally, Acts chapter 4, there are times when we actually don't obey uh, because if our parents are calling us to sin, if the government is calling us to sin, then yeah, we wouldn't obey. But we still have to honor We still have to honor, and it doesn't always mean obeying, but it does mean that we actually can disobey in a respectful way. 
And so I was able to coach him, counsel him, and disciple him through that situation. And um, praise God, he lived in purity in that moment and uh, has grown in his walk with the Lord. And so the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, that when we honor our, our mother and father, there's a blessing. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise, meaning it's a conditional. And we need blessing in our life. God gives us some sets, some stuff to say, if you obey this, you'll actually be blessed. So how does this apply to us? I think there's three practical ways. Three practical ways people in this room, doesn't matter what the age you are, you want to obey this and understand this. Um, obeying, listening, and providing. Obeying, listening, and providing. We know that the New Testament says obeying, so we'll start there first. Children need to learn obedience. They need to learn structure, rules, and they actually thrive on those things, especially little children. Part of parenting them, which is not very fun as a parent, is actually to discipline our children, to tell them not to do something, even though you want them to have a great time, especially when they're younger and you can't explain. Don't drink the chemicals to a two-year-old. Doesn't make sense to them. But last time I drank something, it was soda, and that was awesome. No, you need to learn to obey. Hey, you can't just eat candy or hit your sister. It's just not okay. Well, I don't understand. It feels good to me. Don't watch this show. It will corrupt your mind. You'll be scared all night long. But no, I won't. I know what it's about. I'm going to be just fine. No, you don't understand, son. You don't understand, daughter. I am trying to guide you and love you. That's why I actually give rules to actually have structure in your life so you'll be safe. This usually happens in the younger formative years, but it's so important and so vital for their development. If a child doesn't learn to obey authority and is spoiled, this actually will do more damage than actually than we think. Um, I had a saying, I know this um, saying, Jeremiah should know the saying because I told him often at the dinner table, I said, son, if you go outside and you live out there, you could do whatever you want. But in my house, my job for you is to teach you how to obey because on the streets out there, guess what? They ain't as forgiving because I had many people and many friends when I was younger and when I was a kid go to jail, go to prison, and do a lot of stupid stuff. So you're going to learn authority in this house so that when you go out there, if you make a mistake, it's not going to cause you greater harm. I don't say that as much now because he's older. But disciplining your children is hard. But parents, let me just encourage you, you still need to discipline your children if they're in your home. You need to have structure. You need to have order. And this is a loving thing to do. And this is something that God, our Father, does to us as His children. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, the Bible actually says that God loves us, so He disciplines us. Listen to this in verse 11 of that chapter. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. No one likes discipline. And honestly, parents hate giving discipline. But it's so important, especially in the younger years. But then, children, 
Oh man, they become young men and women, the beloved teenage stage. Come on, I'm loving teenagers. It's great. It's amazing. I don't know what people complain about. It's awesome. Okay. Uh, at least my children are. I'm sorry about your kids. Mine are perfect. Okay. So that's just me. Um, you know, children, they get to teenagers, they're being more formative, and you know, they start having opinions of themselves or they're for themselves. I didn't I didn't know that they knew everything, but they do. And they tell you about it. And uh, one practical way teenagers can honor their parents is by listening. By listening. Not even agreeing. Not even agreeing. Proverbs 1.8 says this, Hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. It's a book of wisdom. It's not smart to just negate the things that your parents have told you. It is wise to listen to your parents and even to learn from their life experiences. You can practically respect your parents and honor them by simply listening to their counsel, even uh, asking them proactively, hey, what do you think? Just as if you would ask your peers. It honors them. It shows respect. But then teenagers become truly adults. And they leave the house. And you feel like your job is done but it is never done as a parent. Amen? Thank God that parents never give up on their children. They're always walking with us, doing crazy, awesome, loving things. And yet, I find myself as a 40-year-old man, at least about to be, still loving my family and calling my father daddy because I'm still a child. How does this work for all of us? There are adults that have our own homes. And I think this command primarily applies to us as adults for caring for our parents caring and providing for them if need be. You see, a way that we can honor our parents is by financially supporting them if they need it. Because Proverbs 3.5, and again, another book of uh, another wisdom, another proverb, it says, honor the Lord with your possessions. You can actually show honor, not just with your words, but financial contributions. And we should show honor with our possessions for the generations to come and those that need it. You know, for centuries, when this Bible verse especially was there, there was no Social Security. It was the role of the children to step in and to care for their parents if they needed it. And so one of the ways that, that family members, especially the firstborn, would do scripturally would be honoring their mother and fathers, making sure the practical stuff is taken care of as they age, whether or not just be with finances, but whether it would be with health or whatever may be. It was a very practical thing. I think about men of God and women of God that have gone before me, even like Trip Kimball who was here with us a couple of weeks ago, how he left the mission field because he had God gave him another mission at the time to take care of his dying parents. And he's just seen them over the last 12 years not be active, not do all this stuff, but literally just care for them, love them, serve them like they loved him. Taking care of his wife, Susan's parents, as they get older, as they get frail, to be with them. We could honor our parents just by giving them a call, telling them we love them. You know, hopefully you said it. You were right. Maybe you got out of that stage, you're an adult, and you see a little bit more of their wisdom, and you can listen to your parents. But most of all, I think that this whole command has to do with honoring our parents as a fundamental attitude toward our father and mothers to obey them, to listen to them, to care for them, and just to practically love them. Sounds pretty awesome. Like God wants structure in the family and love in the home. 
And so what, what does this teach us about God? Because remember, that's sort of the, the structure of what it means. But what does this teach us about God? Well, in that book I gave you, I'm trying to give you that application so you can study a little bit more on your own. They say God wants all people to respect and honor those he placed in authority. God wants all people to, uh, to respect and honor those he placed in authority. Again, I think this is an important question to ask because the Bible tells us that God has placed authority in our lives. Authority in our lives. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, does this mean that we agree with all political parties? No. But do we respect, do we honor the position and authority over us? You may disagree with your boss. You may have arguments, spouts, but what can we learn and how can we show honor and listen and show respect? Again, we need to obey the law. We have a final authority. So unless the person above us is telling us to do something that opposes God's word, like in Acts chapter 4 when they said, don't preach Jesus anymore, and the apostles are like, eh, no, we're going to keep on doing it. But if the authority says something that maybe it's like, eh, I don't really want to do that, we don't have a choice. I don't think any of us want to pay taxes. But the Bible says that you should because you should be subject to the law that is given in the land that you live and we have been allotted in this place, this time, this season, wherever we're at. And so being trained to show honor by our parents is genius by God. It's genius that he actually would place a system to train us to show honor to our parents so we could show honor to everyone and start loving more people. Because did you know the Bible says in Romans as well? Romans 12, 10. Let one another uh, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Can you imagine a culture, especially on social media, right now in 2023 that applied that verse? Like we are just going to outdo in loving one another and honoring one another and showing brotherly affection. But yet God uses the training ground of our parents to establish authority that we would be able to honor in our lives and so that we can show honor to other people and learn how to practically love in this way. God wants us to love people and to honor people. And it starts with the home, but actually should flow into our workplace, flow into our community, into our nation, into our world. He wants us to love other people. So he says this. This is probably my favorite commandment right here. Don't murder. Just glad you guys aren't all applying it right now. Right? It's a super simple one, but I think there's a lot of context and and, and uh, teaching in this. It just says this. You shall not murder. Verse 13. Done. Now, let's break this down a little bit and show you why I think this is important in our day, especially in what Jesus says. Murder is unlawful killing of another human being. Now, the Hebrew word murder in this specific specific text uh, is a different word and it applies to putting to death improperly for selfish reason rather than authorization. Uh, I know it's a technical thing, but really the idea is you're taking uh, a situation into your own hands and acting like God. Okay, And so there's actually seven different Hebrew words for murder or for killing, and it uses this specific word uh, because it wants to contrast things like accidental murder or accidental death 
war, self-defense, capital punishment, even killing animals. It uses this specific thing. Now, the law would be more given in more detail and would teach that if you murder someone, the punishment would be death. Numbers 36, verse 30 through 31. Why? Because we know and God knew when he was giving this to the nation that everyone is made in the image of God. If you are a human being, you're made in the image of God. We know that from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And so to murder is to act, uh, attack the image of God. Now, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, uh, even before the commandments were given, it says, whoever sheds the blood of a man, of man, uh, shall by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. You're made in the image of God. You're valuable. God cares about you. He knows you. Every one of you. Every one of you that blow it, mess up, aren't good enough. God loves you. You're made in his image. He cares for you. He, he made you. He's creator God, and he, and he wants to give you purpose. He wants to display that love. He wants you to know that. Now, the Jews were able to defend themselves. Actually, in Exodus 22, verse 2, it talks about that. And as you study the law, there were concessions for accidental death, even cities of refuge. So if something happened, you can retreat and there would be a whole process and, 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 and being able to do that. But the idea of murder doesn't just have to do with taking a life, but it has to do with being hostile. Hostile towards another human being and taking their life as we play the role of God. Because only God alone gives life and should play that role of death, of life and death in a person's life. Now one commentator said this, No Israelite acting on his own could decide that he had the right to end someone's life. It's a good rule. You can't just do what you want. There's authority placed over you. and You need to learn that authority, specifically God's authority about what he says about the situation. I know that you're mad. I know that you're angry. The Bible says, do not sin in your anger. Do not murder. Now, hopefully none of us are murderers, but it happens. And God loves all people. And this is why he tells us not to murder. It's interesting to me because this is a very quick command that people just go, well, no big deal. I'm never going to do that. I have no anger in my heart. Moving on. But I actually think in our culture, in our day, we have to define things, and then we also have to apply things. And I think there are two practical ways in our day that the Bible would speak about this commandment that really hits home in our hearts. The first is this, abortion. Abortion. Now let me define this, what this specific word means, and let me explain what the Bible says about sanctity of life real quick. Putting to death improperly for selfish reason, or rather than with, uh, without authorization. So you're doing something against what a final authority would say or deem to be right or wrong. That's really the idea. Okay? Now, I was looking up these statistics. CDC said 615,911 abortions happened in the year 2020. And that was just the recorded abortions in America. Uh, the Guthrie Match Institute, which um, boasts about helping people get abortions, they said there's actually there were actually more like a million people in America that got abortions per year. 
Now, the WHO, the World Health Organization, says every year in the world, there are about 73 million uh, induced abortions. That's about 200,000 per day worldwide. Okay? Uh, in a, our world, in our culture today, abortion is common. It's called health care and even approved by most people. Pew Research says this, Americans say abortion should be legal in all or most circumstances. 61% of these people were polled, and they think that's okay. Rather than uh, 37% saying um, that, it's that, that it shouldn't happen uh, and should be illegal in all circumstances. But I just want us to remind ourselves in the day we live in to look to Scripture. And just... I want you to hear these words, what the Bible teaches about life and the sanctity of life. Because he is the ultimate authority. And I think when we talk about rebelling against authority, we can't just say not only our government, but we have to say, well, what does God say about this? Okay? And so the Bible says a lot about life in the womb. Life being in the womb. Okay? There are many examples like Isaiah, Jeremiah, David, all prophets, all used by God, but they recognize that God formed them in the womb. Let me give you a few verses. I'm not going to give you a lot, but the Lord called me from the womb, Isaiah said. From the body my mother, uh, the body of my mother, he named my name. God knows people in the womb. Not only Isaiah, because he was a great prophet, but he actually goes on and says he knew other people, the nation. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeserun, whom I have chosen. God has a specific plan, a purpose, and has value for those that are in the womb that wants to give them purpose, destiny, love, care, gifts, calling, all of that. Jeremiah, the prophet, would say, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is Jeremiah speaking to the people. And before you were born, our being spoken by God. Before uh, you were born, I consecrated you. I um, appointed you a prophet to the nations. There was a plan in place that God wanted to give Jeremiah from the womb. Now, a great psalm, Psalm 139. I'm not going to read it, but uh, verse 13 through 16, the great prophet David thanks God in this psalm for knowing him while in the womb. And we don't just see this in the Old Testament or in these prophets, but we also see when we go to the New Testament in Luke chapter 1 that John the Baptist actually was filled with the Spirit of God in the womb. Okay, so it's not just you have this great life and this great destiny if nothing comes out, but while John was in the womb, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit filled him, came upon him. The Bible says that it not only reads to all these other people, but it actually, conception happened in Mary's womb in the birth story of Jesus. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And so I see abortionists putting to death someone improperly that goes against God's heart because he cares about human life and sanctity. Yes, there are exceptions to the rule. This is a case-by-case -case situation, but we don't make the common rule an exception. Uh, exceptions aren't the common rule. We need to understand God's general heart for humanity is one of love, is one of life, is one of calling, is one of purpose. And this is not to go against the debate of are you pro-choice or pro-life? 
This is for us to critically think about what does God say about the sanctity of life and how do we apply that to our lives? But to say God values all life, including in the womb, is a very political, hot, stirred, debated conversation. And it shouldn't be. We should actually go to God's word for the final authority, not what culture says. And we need to make sure that we're not getting our cues from culture, but scriptural truth. And so, not putting to death for selfish reasons. I'm not saying that all abortions are for selfish reasons. Many abortions happen because of ignorance, because of uh, just because they desire that, just because they're in a situation that's helpless. There are so many different variables. But if you go on into the definition of this word, it says that goes against the authorization given or the final authority. And we know God's heart, and we know what God has said. So we need to be pleasing to God and obeying Him in these ways. But before we go down that rabbit trail, what about this one? Hatred towards all men. Hatred towards people is so high these days. Remember how I said that there are seven Hebrew words for killing? This word murder has the idea or the weight of hostility and anger towards another person. So it's not just going against the authority, but it's even before that. It's just straight disapproving of someone and putting them down and hating them and despising someone to make you want to go against authority. God warned Cain about this with Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, why do you anger? Why are you so angry? Why, why are you angry? He says, sin is crouching out the door. Watch your anger. Watch your tone. Why, why are you so upset? Maybe it's because people are going against your authority. Maybe you think that you're God. And you don't like it so much that you'll end someone's life. Because, well, you go against me, you pay a price. This is, again, why the Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, in our anger, do not sin, because our feelings can be overwhelming and they can lie to our soul at times. Even feeling right doesn't mean it is right. You know what? Being bitter will not help you. It's just not going to help. It's poison to your soul. But when you go through pain, a self a self mechanism is to go and have bitter, have anger, sin, and oppose. And so Cain, in his anger, rose up against his brother Abel, the first martyr, and killed him. That's the fruit of the feelings, not faith. And just because we feel something doesn't mean we should follow every emotion. We need to follow God's word, not our hearts, for they're deceitful, the Bible says. Just because we don't act out in hostility, though, does not mean that we aren't sinning. So we may just not have the courage or boldness to act on the sin. You know that. You know what I'm talking about? When we, we hang around, oh, I, I would have done this, or I did this, this, and this. And you're like, really? Did you do that? You're like, no, nah, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I really didn't. I didn't really even cuss that guy out. I really didn't do that. But I wanted to. I was going to do it, and it was in my heart. And I, Sometimes we just don't have the boldness or courage, but there's something bubbling in us. Because people have opposed our authority. And it happens more than you think. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 22, You hear that it was said to those of the old, 
you, this verse right here, the law, yeah, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the, the council. Uh, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Just as we are told not to murder because people are made in the image of God, did you know James chapter 3, verse 9 tells us not to curse others for the same reason? To be mean, to curse, to despise, to put people down because they're made in the image of God. Think about how the world would be different if we didn't suppress them, even people with our words, with our actions. We are to express love to others, even our enemies, because God loves all people. Even people in the womb, outside of the womb, people that he's made that he loves, and people that are even his enemies he loves. So what does this teach us? Well, that God created human life. He holds it sacred. We should be grateful for this, that God would love us so much. I mean, he holds life so sacred that he came to save murderers, to save people that were far off and hostile towards him because he loves all men. It doesn't matter your history or what you've gone through or what's in your heart. The Bible says we all fall short of God's glory. And Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, falling short of this glory, walking in sin, that manifests in all these different ways, from the left to the right, God came down because He loves us. And He cares for us. And you may have guilt, you may have shame in your sin for not respecting your parents, for falling short, for, for doing the things that you don't want to do even though you know you should. Man, you shouldn't have done it. Or maybe you want to do something, but then you just, you just man, I really want to love that person to be kind, but every time my mouth speaks to them, it's just garbage and I just can't help it. We all fall short. This is what these commands are. Remember last week how I said these commands should make you feel terrible and at the same time make me rejoice more than ever. Because in our sin and in our wretchedness, God loved us. And there's grace for that. Because the Bible says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And the whole point of the law is to show you a moral that you should not judge other people by, but look at yourself and say, God, I need you. This is the purpose of the law. You say, well, well, well what, about, what about the murders? Or what about these people or those people? What do you mean? You mean like Moses? Like the people we're studying in the Bible? Did, did we already forget about Moses who murdered an Egyptian and now is on a mountain in the presence of God, being called a friend of God, in the Shekinah glory of God, being used by God? It doesn't matter what you do, there is forgiveness in Christ. He loves you. He cares for you. Oh, you mean like David with that beautiful Psalm 139? Yeah, David, who killed Bathsheba's husband because he was a fornicator, which we didn't even get into. That's the next commandment? Yeah, him. God loved him and he repented and guess where he found? Forgiveness. Guess what we find when we repent? Forgiveness. There's no condemnation in Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he would say it like this. He would say he was such a wretch, he's an example to all of us. 
1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I have received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, remember the foremost, the worst sinner, it's because he killed people. He actually went after the church, would kill women, children. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I don't understand why we are not happier about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ sharing it to the entire world. Do not give me this junk about two people are too far off. Of course we're too far off. We're all too far off. We didn't get saved because we were great. We're Christians. We're sinners saved by grace. God had to save us. Doesn't matter what you do. Sin is so terrible. It manifests in different ways and that's what this law is showing. So why are you going to a rally and being a jerk or doing this or doing that? Give people some good news, man. There's forgiveness. We have hope. We have love in Christ and there is no condemnation. It doesn't matter your past. You can be used by God. You're a Christian. You screwed up. Great. Glad you're at church today. Because the Bible says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all sins and cleanse you pure. And that was written to Christians. 1 John is written to beloved Christians. In the same In the same, it's mind-boggling, in the same text, he calls Christians, you and I that put our faith in Jesus, beloved. You are not loved based off of what you do. You're based off of who God is. God is not giving you these rules to beat you down or to beat other people down. He's giving it to show you, you can come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. For he cried out in the great gate of the feast, all who are thirsty, come to me. Are you satisfied in the world? Are you satisfied by being your own God? You want to just follow culture and you think sin is great and you can just do whatever you want? How's that going for you? Because when you need a Savior, Jesus came and said, I'm that guy. Follow me. You'll have rest. You'll have salvation. You'll be able to rejoice. Well, where I want to sort of land the plane is this. This little simple sentence. The spectrum of sin is crazy. I want us to understand this. The spectrum of sin is crazy. It goes from not honoring your parents to hostility and killing. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big jump over there. But that's how crazy sin is. Sin is the rebellion against God and we have this nature that wants to play God ourselves and rebel. It goes from falling, uh, failing to love God to failing to love other people in this law. You know, recently I just got a new camera and it's 4K and it does this thing called S-Log. You may or may not know about it. I'm learning all about it. But it sort of shoots and when it comes out, it's sort of like almost grayscale. There's light color in it. So you have to go in the back end in the editing process and you have to bring up the highs and bring down the lows and the mid and the range. And then actually the reason why it's filmed that way or when you see a movie, it's called dynamic range. There's a lot more dynamic range. It pops. It's actually good. It just looks like crap in the beginning. And so you got to tweak it. You understand it. There's more dynamic range. And I was just thinking about this in this metaphor of thinking about color grading because I'm bivocational. It's what I do, right? Incorporating the Lord even in everything I do. And I was just thinking, this is nuts. Because once we see how God sees, we see the whole picture. There's a lot more dynamic range in life when you actually start 
going in the back end and seeing how God is editing and turning things around. He, he cares about us. The more you edit, the more you see color. And I found out the more I walk with God, the more I see a need for him and how great sin is. There's more dynamic range and the cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Because you start pointing less about those people and you start saying, oh my gosh, look at me. Because James 2.10 tells me that if I break one law, any of the commandments, I break them all. So you don't deal with murder? Awesome. Thanks for that. You're still broken. And it's like you're a murderer. No matter what you've done, you're guilty. And this is why we should be terribly excited about the law. It's terrifying to come to the law with an approach of do better, try harder, but it's so warming and rejoicing and incredible and just I'm awestruck as I looked at God through the lens of the law because it helps me focus on Him more and not myself. That's the point of the law. Sinners saved by grace. He really loves us. He really cares for us. He calls us a friend. He said, I came to be a friend of the sinners and to save us. The law wasn't meant to save. Jesus was. We don't follow home with your rules. We have a relationship with God. And because we do, we're transformed and it makes us spiritually alive, born again. And we're able now to look at this law and say, God, I love you. I want to do this. I want to do that. And now we're able to not only love God, but love other people. I'll close with this, Romans 5.20. We'll take communion together. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. That's another fancy word for saying sin. You see the line, you trespass, you cross it over. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God's grace is greater than our sin. Let's worship Him by faith trusting that this truth is for our lives. He brings freedom, forgiveness, and hope. And we want to invite people into this hope and loving relationship with Jesus because this is the heart of God. As he gives these people the law, he's doing it out of one of love. Even when we talk about parenting, he's a good father and he'll even allow things to correct us so that we can go to him. He did something so crazy. He gave the law for years and years, and use a whole case study of the nation of Israel, so now we can look on it, study it, and say, and we're like Israel too, we really need you. And so let's go to God and take communion together and celebrate that we can enjoy his grace together. Jesus, we just thank you so much for your grace. We just pray, God, as we continue to study this section, that you would bring grace towards us. You would give us a deeper understanding of the law of who you are and that we would fix our eyes on you, Jesus, that we would understand what it means to be saved, to be looking at this text and and just have your heart. So now, Lord, we just want to close by saying thank you. We want to cast our mind upon you. Lord, we want to invite those that may not know you in this room or even watching to come. We thank you that when we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, we will be saved. And if you are in that place and listening to my voice and you need salvation, forgiveness of your sin, the Bible says to invite Jesus. Ask, seek, knock. The door will be open to you. He 
wants to be a part of your life so much so that he came, lived a perfect life you and I couldn't live, died on the cross for our sins, gives us his righteousness, rose three days later, promises eternal life, and that is not by us doing good and being a part of a church or doing this and doing that. It is simply by coming to him and following him in his ways. May Jesus be your God. And if you want that, say, Jesus, come into my life. Restore me, redeem me, make me spiritually alive. I need salvation from you. And the Bible says in John, he cast no one out. You could know him. And so, Lord, we want to know you more. We want to take time to confess our sins, to cast our mind in you, and to close in communion, praising your perfect and amazing name. May you be glorified and may we respond appropriately. Fill us again with your spirit to live out your ways. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter what you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.